Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit PresenceOC.org. Oh, you're so faithful, Lord. We're going to have a lot of fun during our time together. Let's just jump right into the word. Uh, We're going to pray for folks at the end, but John uh, chapter 12, I just want to jump right in. John chapter 12. I have not been able to get out of this chapter, out of just a few verses in this chapter for a while, um, especially the past few days. So I'm just going to read here, uh, just set the scene a little bit. Jesus is getting ready to go through um, a trial that we could never really fully know um, in his cross for us. And He's getting around some friends. He's getting around some people that he knows. And it says here in John chapter 12, verse 1, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead. (laughs) That's just good right there. (laughs) Whom he had raised from the dead. Wow, it just got better. There, just, I want you to think about that for a second. (laughs) This guy was dead. Not just like spiritually dead, like, you know, dead inside, he's dark and having a dark life or having a hard time or not a lot of life coming out of him. Like literally not breathing. No heartbeat. Dead. Gone. Okay, just want to make sure we clarify that. Whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. You know that if you've been raised from the dead, you're going to sit at the table with the one that raised you from the dead. I'm going to say it again. You know that if you've been raised from the dead, you're going to sit at the table with the one who raised you from the dead. Then Mary, this is Lazarus' sister, took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was the fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That shows you the value of what she gave. This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. John's so honest here because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. Great many of the Jews were there and they came not only for Jesus' sake, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Let's go back a little bit here because I want to explore a little bit uh, the life of Mary, the one who's anointing Jesus with oil. Is that okay? I just want to jump into her life a little bit. Let's like flip back to John chapter 11. Let's look at a little, a little bit 
of uh, her here. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, from the town of Mary. This is verse 1, chapter 11. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, just to make sure we recognize who we're talking about. Wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters went to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and, his, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going there also? Do you guys know why they kept trying to kill Jesus? Because he was, one, doing miracles and gathering more followers than the religious people were. Two, he was manifesting love that was greater than anything they had ever seen or known, and it made him jealous. And three, he was openly being declared as the king to come. Just throwing that out there, just a little knowledge for you guys. Jesus answered, verse 9, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He's explaining why people are trying to kill him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Thomas said, hey, let us go also that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found out that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. I want you to picture some of this. How many of you guys have been to Israel? Raise your hand, you've been to Israel. If you have not been to Israel, I want to pray for you. Put your hand up. I've been to Israel five times. I don't think I paid for a single one of the trips. So, Father, I pray right now that grace would just fall on people to go to be witness to your people there in Israel. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, when I go to Israel, I don't go to sightsee. I go to bring the one who restores the sight. I go there to preach the gospel. And uh, you've seen incredible miracles in Israel, on the streets, amazing stuff. Anyway, let's keep reading. Um, Bethany was near Jerusalem, two miles away. I want you to picture it. I want you to picture the scene. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many of us have been in those shoes before? But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. 
And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Doesn't say why. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Doesn't explain why. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. I wonder, was he weeping because he felt compassion for her? Maybe, I don't, I don't know, doesn't say. Was he weeping because he saw the foreshadowing of what he was about to go through? Doesn't say. Now, Jesus didn't feel sorry for himself, I know that much. He didn't wallow in self-pity like we know how to do too well. Uh, I wonder also if he was weeping because he was thinking of people that wouldn't come out of their graves even though he called them. Let's just keep going. I don't, I don't know. Those are just conjectures. And Jew, the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again groaning himself came to the tomb It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he is dead four days. But Jesus did say to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? They took the stone away. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I know that you always hear me, but because of these people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Say that with me. Lazarus, come forth. Just imagine the, the, the power in those words. The voice of perfection, the voice of love, speaking to someone who is dead, someone that there's no life left in them. The ver- voice of perfect love speaking. The voice which cannot fail, speaking. Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Many of the Jews began to believe in him. Mary is also the the same person that found herself at Jesus' feet while he was teaching. She included herself as being a follower of Jesus in a time where men were allowed to follow around rabbis and women were supposed to be in the kitchen cooking. She sat at the Savior's feet listening to his words. It's interesting that at the cross... We don't know if there were others for sure, but it says who were present. There were a few Marys present, including this one, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of John and James, and this Mary, Mary of Bethany. 
Um, the Hebrew name for Mary is the, the name Mariah. It actually means the myrrh of Yahweh or the fragrance of Yahweh. Uh, myrrh is something that um, the Jews brought in worship practices. Um, they would also use it to anoint people for burial. Jesus said about Mary when she was anointing him with the fragrant oil, behold, she does this for the day of my burial. It's really interesting because this Mary who continually found herself at the feet of Jesus actually foresaw what was about to happen with Jesus, something that his disciples couldn't even see. There's things you'll see when you're intimate with the Savior that those that are around that may be hearing the message cannot see. Judas gets jealous. Um, The world will get jealous of your intimacy with Jesus. And that jealousy can either draw them to him or become a place of contention through which they harden their heart. Uh, It says in the Old Testament that when the Lord delivered Israel out of bondage, there were great signs and wonders, right? And it said that those signs and wonders brought about a hardening in Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh decided to be hardened through the things that he saw. God wasn't hardening his heart through the things he saw. The things he saw affected the hardness of his heart, and he continued to not repent. Does that make sense? Don't worry, we're going somewhere. It's gonna, we're going to be okay. Mary, that anointed Jesus' feet, it, she took this costly oil worth 300 denarii. That's literally a year's plus worth of wages. That could have been her retirement. There are people in this room, God wants you to spend your retirement on Jesus. A lot of times these verses are used in the context of worship. I love Pastor Jesse preached about worship last week. And it just got me thinking. I was thinking about worship all this week. I was thinking about worship before that. And um, it's interesting because he did a great job just teaching us all about worship and how to interact in the presence together, how to interact in song. Like today was just beautiful. I, I felt like worship went by in like 15 minutes. I was just like, it was so fast. I was like, where did this time go? Like, that's beautiful. That's, that's where we're headed. We're headed where we won't measure worship services in hours, but we'll measure them in days. But in this moment where she's anointing Jesus' feet, there's no music playing. What does it look like to anoint his feet today? What does it look like to spend our lives on him? And the only way we can do that is by seeing the reality of the one who spent his life on us. There is no love apart from his love. That's why the world has so many skewed definitions of love in our day. Love is the acceptance of everything. Love is the embracing of every activity, even the ones that are destroying people's lives. The only way to truly live like Mary is to see the reality of the one who's laid down his life for each and every one of us. The one who laid down his life not to convince a father in heaven to love you, not to convince an angry God of your value, 
but to convince you of your value before the God of all eternity and the God of all love. Jesus was not convincing your father to love you on the cross. Mary Bethany turned up at uh, the resurrection. I wonder why she turned up there at the grave. She went there early in the morning. They went to anoint him. I wonder if she was waiting for something to happen. I don't know. It doesn't say. She was surprised, nonetheless, the way it went down. They were all surprised because none of them fully understood what was going on. None of us in this room fully understand what's going on. We are far too familiar with a God we barely know, a famous preacher says. Go with me John chapter 21. I know we're, we're getting a lot of verses. I just, I like the Bible. People bled to give it to you. Um, how many of you think you read this thing daily? Raise your hand. Awesome. No shame if you don't. This will change your life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. If we make a habit of communing with him through what he's already said, we'll find ourselves living in a habit of communing with the things that he's saying. Go with me back to John 20 real quick. I'm gonna hit the end of 21. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. She saw the stone to be taken away. She goes and gets Simon Peter, disciple whom Jesus loved. They ran to the tomb. They look inside. They see a handkerchief rolled up. They didn't understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. But we actually read here further along, Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus was laying. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and she did not know that it was Jesus. How often do we do that? He's not in your sickness, he's in your healing. He's not in your disease, he's in your breakthrough. But how often is God speaking to us things and showing up in situations that we're refusing to see him? I'm just throwing out ideas, I'm asking a lot of questions, I realize that. That's what scripture does to us. because they've taken away my Lord, don't know the way they laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, they've carried him away. Tell me where they have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, or literally the Hebrew or Aramaic would be Mariah. So much foreshadowing here, you guys. When Abraham went on to uh, a mountain, to give his son, God said, go to the mountain of Moriah and give me your son. 
Um, someone I admire greatly was translating this recently, and we think of it as God's like, Abraham, go to the mountain and give me your son. The Hebrew literally says, please, Abraham, would you give me your son? Would you give me the thing that you care about the most? Now, if Abraham had actually taken the life of his son, we would have a very incomplete picture of God. We would have a picture of a father that needs to slay a son in order to have justice. But instead, the Lord interrupts the sacrifice, steps into the midst of it and says, I'm going to provide myself for the sacrifice. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what your father's like, your father is the kind of person that would go to a cross for you. Not the kind of person that would sit with his head ducked, turned the other way, that can't look at sin, that can't look at his son on the cross, but one that is intimately and extravagantly involved in every moment, that doesn't turn his back on darkness, but walks towards it. How they get mad at me. No, I'm kidding. Um, go with me to Psalm 22. We're just going to keep reading. Is this okay? I'm just giving you Bible. We'll pray for folks too. Jesus is on the cross. He gets up there. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed, Isaiah 53 says. He carried away our sicknesses. He cast away our pains. He was rejected by man, a man of sorrows. It says in Psalm 22, Jesus gets up on the cross and he quotes these verse right here in the beginning of Psalm 22. He says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear and in the night season and I'm not silent, but you are holy and you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and you were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Verse 9, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You've been my God. You're not far from me when trouble is near, when there's none to help. That's what it says. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like the potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You've brought me to the dust of death. Dogs surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Does it say the father pierced his hands and his feet? See, many of us are looking at God the Father and seeing God the Father as the one that slayed his son so he didn't have to slay us. But if that's true, you can truly never trust that God and Father. Because you're never going to be able to know for sure that his wrath has been satisfied because you're always going to have this continual question of where is the wrath of God abiding today? The interesting thing is that Jesus did not even consume the wrath of God on the cross. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. 
Oh, but you would say he drank this cup, you know, like this cup that I have to drink. It was the cup of the Father's wrath. The only problem with that is the disciples come to Jesus. I could show it to you. I'm just going to quote it from memory. The disciples say, hey, we could drink that cup too. And he says, yeah, you could. He was drinking the cup of suffering, the cup of rejection of us. The cup of suffering. Is this okay? I'm just messing with our theology a little bit. Don't believe me, believe the Bible. Read the Bible for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. Be a Berean, study this stuff out. See, some of you are getting really mad at me right now. And it's because I'm throwing stuff out there, things that you've been taught your entire life. You've been taught in church continually. How's it working for you? No, serious. How's it working for you? Is your conscience cleansed? Is your conscience cleansed? Are you still remembering sin? Do you still think you're a sinner? No. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> Amen, Jeff. One person. If you think you're a sinner, you're going to sin by faith continually. If you believe that you're a child, you're going to live like Jesus. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and for clothing the class up. But you, O Lord, are not far from me. Isn't that interesting? This is Jesus' psalm while he's on the cross. You strengthen, you hasten to help me. You deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. You save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Therefore, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall even be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdoms is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. What are you playing with, Reagan? You got like coins here? What's over here? You got a pile of quarters, you got a pile of pennies, pile of nickels. What are you, what are you doing? Spinning. You're spinning them. Why are you spinning them? I like spinning them. You like spinning them. That's pretty cool. Why do you like spinning them? Because it's fun. Because it's fun. That's awesome. Why do you like having fun? And now she's laughing. <laughs> For so long, the church has been convinced that our father's in a bad mood and that he doesn't like to have fun. The church has been convinced that God is like them, in a bad mood. <laughs> Consumed with sin, consumed with guilt, 
consumed with trying to make everything right instead of recognizing that love has made everything right. And when we behold love, everything begins to be transformed. The church has been convinced that God's not fun. So we come to meetings that we're bored with. So we read the Bible and it's boring. But then we see people like Mary who sit at Jesus' feet consumed by him, people that are willing to spend everything, people that are willing to spend their lives, to give their lives to simply pour out oil on the feet of Jesus. People that are willing to go to other countries, that are willing to give away everything, people that are willing to spend all they have. We, we sit up here and we teach people about tithing. We're like, you guys, you guys, you know, you should tithe 10% or you should give to the church. Yet some of us, we like to hold on to things so much that we don't even realize that God's calling us into so much more than 10%. He's calling us into everything. Jesse's given the call, like, be on the setup and teardown team. God wants you on his setup and teardown team, too. <laughs> Setting up his kingdom and tearing down the works of darkness. <laughs> but if we think God's in a bad mood, then we're going to try to convince him to be in a good one. And we're going to heap up for ourselves more dirty rags. Like Seth Dahl says, more menstrual cycle rags. That's literally what the, the word is there. More dirty rags. Pastor Nicole goes, keep going. <laughs> Hit that stuff. How many of us, we found ourselves just trying to convince God to love us instead of sitting at his feet and knowing that we're loved? This plays out in all of our relationships. If you're performing for love in relationships with people, and chances are you're performing for love in relationship with God. Because what you believe in about God will play out in all of your relationships. I remember um, really admiring this great missionary and uh, I woke up one morning, and I was living in Northern California at the time. And the Holy Spirit, I, I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit at the time. I heard a voice say to me, you're going to hang out with this person today. And I was like, okay. I don't know how that's going to happen. Well, at the end of church, Holy Ghost crashed in, did all this crazy stuff. Hour and a half after church, everybody's gone. But I'm left here with this missionary that I greatly admire. And this missionary doesn't have a ride. And this missionary is like, hey, can you give me a ride? And I'm like... Yeah, well, let me get one of the security guards. He's like, no, 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 you give me a ride. I ended up spending multiple days that week with this missionary and her family. The interesting thing was I went, I went, I spent New Year's Eve with them. I spent time around. Interesting was I, the longer that I spent time with the person, I realized that that was not satisfying what I was longing for in here. See, many of us, we think if we could just simply get around the right people, we would finally be satisfied. But you don't realize you've been brought into relationship with the right God, and now you get to be completely satisfied. Man, that deserves a better response. I don't know. Chris, where is this stuff coming from? Jesus. 
What's that? What'd you say? She's having more fun. She said, ah, few, 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 few. Reagan's convinced that church gets to be fun. Is God in a bad mood? God's love is burning against things that he doesn't like. Things that are destroying people. If people wrap themselves up in that stuff, they feel hated. They feel rejected, are they? No, God entered into their darkness, entered into their rejection so that they'd be accepted. Jesus is fully convinced of your value. He staked eternity on it. He staked his life on it, knowing that his love would never fail. I just want to pray right now that we're going to shift and just start, allow Holy Ghost to just touch people all over the room and do miracles. I felt like the Lord wanted to heal folks today, but I just want to pray right now because I feel like Mary of Bethany. God's calling us to sit at his feet. God's calling us to be in all those catalytic moments that Mary got to be in because she wanted fellowship with him more than anything the world could give. She wanted fellowship. Worship means communion. It means face-to-face. It means kissing. She wanted to be that close to Jesus all of the time that she was always in the catalytic moments where things were happening. She was always in the places where Jesus was doing stuff. I feel the call of God calling us as a community not just to worship on a Sunday morning, although that's amazing, but to live a life that looks like Mary to live a life poured out, to live a life where we would find the feet of Jesus, the body of Christ around us, and we would do what's within our power, the things we have, we'd begin to spend our lives on that. Imagine Pastor Jesse was up here, a member of the body of Christ, and people started throwing thousands of dollars at his feet to support the vision that God had given him. People came up to him and said, I don't, I don't know what you need, but I want to I participate with it. I want to serve it. What happens in worship in the spirit has to transcend, has to communicate to what happens right here. Love one another. When you just stand, I'm going to pray real quick. Just stand, we'll just pray. Put your hand on your heart, and then we're just going to... See what the Lord wants to do. Father, we just thank you for the privilege to go all in like Mary. God, to go all in, not with a God who's mad at us, not with a God that's sad with us, but with a God that joys over us. Not with a God that's holding something back from us, but with a God that's freely poured out all that he has, his last breath, his blood, his blood that cleanses the conscience. If you're here in this room and you, you literally have been continually bound with sin, what do I mean by sin? Dysfunction. You are, have been bound with being overwhelmed with a sense of guilt, a sense of condemnation over the things in your life. You've been overwhelmed by addictions. You've been overwhelmed to the point where you're like, I'm not following Jesus. You're recognizing it right now. Jesus is saying, come and follow me. 
If you're in this room and you want to you respond to that call, just put your hand up quickly. I just want to pray for you where you're at. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands.